Well, hey, happy Easter, Go Church family. High five, air five. Somebody near you, you may be seated on this Easter Sunday. You're looking clean too. Come on, all in your Easter digs, looking good. Come on. Somebody told me before this gathering started, they said, Pastor JC, you're dressed like you're going to the prom. Come on now. Well, as long as I dance with Jesus, I'm all right. So happy Easter to all of you and to your family. Uh, I want to walk you through a couple of things before we jump into the message together. Uh, a number of items were given to you. Uh, when you came in today, there is a, an info card here. It was on the seat that you chose to set in today. It's kind of an info card of next steps. Uh, maybe you're new to go church or you're returning for the first time since COVID happened. And so here's just a little outline of some of the great next steps for you and your family here at Go Church. Uh, this is a, a free take-home item for you. And then one of the traditions that we have on Easter, when we get to have Easter in person, come on, last year was thrown for a loop with the coronavirus. This is the first time we've been together on Easter Sunday in two years. How about that? Come on. But one of the traditions, you know what, I think it's, it's an awesome opportunity to just say thanks be to God for his faithfulness, for his goodness, for his hand of protection. I know many of you have been hit uh, individually or as a family with COVID, and we don't take light of that, but it's good to be back together, and it's good to see so many familiar faces and new faces. One of the traditions we have on Easter is this annual survey card. So if you could take that out for me uh, here in this room in Germantown as well. We'll greet all of them here in just a moment. But there's a, a pin in the seat back pocket in front of you. This is a little homework assignment for the day. Uh, we're going to ask you to answer a few questions for us. And this is a huge help to us, a tremendous help to us as we continue to plan and pray and prepare for the future. Let me quickly, very quickly walk you through this. Question one is, uh, I've always wanted to know the answer to. So every, every year we do a series called Ask Away, and you really build the content for that series. So maybe you got a question about faith, about life, about parenting, about finances, about marriage, about why you're still single. Come on, somebody. Right? If you any question that you want to submit, we invite you to, to write that question down. And then in a couple of months here, when we go into the Ask Away series, we're going to try to unpack as many of those questions as we can categorically, and so that would be a big help. The second question that I want to ask of you is, in your opinion, or maybe in your personal experience, is question number two, what do you think are the greatest barriers to someone knowing God, to prevent someone from knowing God? So, when I'm not looking for a thesis here or a paragraph, but give me a couple bullet points, some things you think that are the primary reasons that someone would be prevented from knowing God. Thirdly, can you tell us where you're from. How far do you drive to go church in minutes and miles? That's a huge help as we pray about adding additional campuses. Hang in there with me a couple more. Question number four is critically important. I want to ask and have you answer, would you check one of these boxes here? You can only pick one that makes you feel the most like descriptive word about go church. So there's six options here. Maybe, maybe we didn't give you enough options and there's one other word that you use to describe go church you can use that and the fill in the blank there let me ask it this way when people ask you friends ask you so what makes go church different what makes go church unique what is that one word does that make sense so i want you to check the one box there that is the most significant word to you describing how awesome your church family is. Come on. Now, if you're visiting with us today, and this is kind of your first time, or you've been only a couple of times, maybe you don't know us that well, so here's how I would ask you that question, and you use the other section to fill in your answer, but what are you looking for in a church? What's the number one thing that you're looking for in a church home and in a church family, if you could write that down? Uh, number five, if you've got any prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you. Then at the very bottom, there's a place for you to fill out your name and email and phone number if you'd like us to contact you for prayer we would love to do that.
that. And then the final part is the next steps in your spiritual journey. You're going to hold on to this card because we'll close out uh, the gathering with that information. And then you've got in the seat back in front of you is a sermon note card, a message note card. We encourage you and invite you to take some notes during the message. And I don't want to forget to welcome our online campus, our Germantown campus. God bless all of you. And then we always give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and those awesome first responders. Not a better time to show some love than right now, especially what's happening in our county. So come on. Welcome Germantown. Welcome online. People in overflow. First responders, military. God bless all of you. And then, and then here's just a little, here's a little hook to try to get you to come back next week, all right? So a lot of great faces here on Easter. I want you to come back next Sunday. We're gonna kick off a four-week series called My Crazy Family. Come on, so four weeks. I'm gonna talk about my crazy family, and I'm gonna take all four weeks, literally, and I'm just gonna talk about the craziness of my family. Cause we jacked up, y'all. Come on, somebody, somebody, somebody testify to that. If you got a crazy family, come on, now's a great time. We're not, actually four weeks wouldn't be long enough to talk about the craziness of my family, so I'm gonna let you testify about the Jerry Springer show that you've been on with the craziness of your family. We're gonna talk about the dynamic of family, the uniqueness of family, the challenges of family, the craziness of family, and so we'll start that next Sunday. We'll go four weeks, and then we'll end the weekend right before Mother's Day. So a lot of great things that are happening here at Go Church, but you came on Easter Sunday, and you came for worship, you came for communion, and you came for a word, and so I'm, I'm honored and privileged to have the opportunity to share with you a message today. Um, in, a, in full transparency here, I kind of always struggle with Easter. It's not about the content. It's like, well, I don't, what, what should I preach on today? It's, it's, it's kind of like information overload. It's like, how do you narrow down this entire story from the virgin birth to the cross at Calvary to the resurrection of Jesus? And how do you package that content in a way that, you know, people are not just enjoying that, but you're receiving it and... The Word of God is transformational, and you leave here different. And so a few weeks ago, I was just kind of challenged with this, and, and it's going to be very simple, but I hope that you'll find some hope and life in it. I want to give you three absolute truths about Jesus. Three absolute truths about Jesus. Now, some of you who are skeptics and critics automatically, and I hadn't, I hadn't even started yet, you're like, well, there, and I don't know why I'm going to do this in a country accent. It just feels appropriate, but, well, there, there ain't no such thing as an absolute truth. Well, until you can prove what I'm about to show you to be false, you have to accept them as absolute. So I'm going to show you some things that back up through evidence the absolute truths about Jesus. And so open up your hearts, open up your minds. Let's have this conversation for a moment, and let's see where the Lord would take us. Here's the very first one here, um, and this is an absolute truth. Jesus is the only one that can save us from our sin. Okay, so for those of you that are, like, saved You've experienced salvation and grace and mercy. That'd be a good place to say amen. So let's try it again. For those of you that are new, this TV um, is very high tech. If you press it with one finger, it will advance forward two fingers and it will move backwards. So you didn't say amen loud enough. So I'm just going to go back. So I'm just going to rewind. The first absolute truth is this. Jesus is the only one that can save us from our sins. Come on. There we go. That's a little better. Jesus is the only one that can deliver us. Jesus is the only one that can rescue us. What happens is sin traps us, and God sees us trapped in our sin. And so God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to rescue us from the trap. Now, trap is a very interesting word, and it's a very interesting experience. Um, rhetorical here, although you could raise your hand if you felt, you know, impressed to, but have you ever been trapped before? Trapped by something, or trapped by someone, or trapped in something? Uh, let me increase the anxiety of every single one of you that have claustrophobia, but have you ever been trapped on an elevator? <laughs> She's like, right here, that's me. Stuck on an elevator? Um, have you ever 
been trapped in a car, or maybe you've seen this as, you know, you've kind of rubbernecked a wreck on the interstate. A car has been in an accident and they have to take the jaws of life to remove the individual out because they're trapped. I'm not making light of the situation of the tornadoes that swept through just now over a week ago, but many families in Noonan, Georgia, and some that call Go Church home because of the devastation of the storm, they were trapped in their homes and they had to be rescued from their homes. On a little bit lighter note, if there is one thing that constantly gets me in trouble in my marriage with Kimberly, it's how I trap us into commitments. Now, y'all, I can't say no. I just can't say no. Now, for those of you that are Enneagrammers, the personality assessment, come on, show me your hand if you know about the Enneagram personality test. Okay, it's just one of those different personality tests. So I am an Enneagram 8 with a heavy wing 7. So that wing 7 is the one that likes to partay. Come on. And I, I love to hang out with people. I love commitments and dinners and parties. And, you know, if you ever want to hang out with Pastor AC, the fastest way to get a meeting with me, take me to play golf. Come on, like. But Kimberly will often say, why, why did you commit us to that? Like, why did you trap us in that? I'm like, you need to love people a little bit more. You know, like, just let the Lord work on this. But I'm always double booking us. Come on, anybody do that? I'm always getting us, trapping us into multiple commitments. And now we got to figure out how to backtrack out of that. And so we've all been, we've all had the experience of being trapped by something or by someone. If you go back to 2003, April 26th, as a matter of fact, there's a story of a man named Aaron Ralston. Aaron was a professional canyoneer. He was a rock climber. And he is rock climbing in Blue John, Utah, the southeast portion of Utah. And the story tells us that on a descent from the canyon, his arm gets trapped between the interior wall and a boulder. And many of you know this story because they made a movie about his life and about this particular trapping experience that he was trapped for 127 hours, he was trapped. He was the only one out there, and the only way for Aaron to survive, and I don't want this to come across as morbid, it's just the truth of the story, he had to self-amputate his arm. The only equipment that he had was a dull pocket knife, and he amputated his arm, and you, you can watch the movie, 127 hours, he was trapped. Now, I can't imagine that, and hopefully the different trapping experiences that you and I have are never to this degree, but could you, could you imagine? But at the end of the day, look, regardless of how you find yourself trapped, one thing we have in common is this. We've all been trapped by sin. This is the goal of the enemy, too, is to trap you in sin. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. I think about the psalmist David. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 51, he said, look, from the time of the conception, from the time that I was conceived in my mother's womb, from the moment that I was born, I was born trapped into sin. So the moment that you're alive, you are alive, but you are trapped into the sin of this world. A Romans 3, a very foundational verse in Scripture says it like this, that we have all, somebody shout all, we have all what? Sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the standard of God. Sin has trapped us, and because of that sin, we can't find our own way of escape. You can't, hear my heart for a moment, but you can't self-amputate your way out of the trap of sin. There's only one that can save you, and his name is Jesus. And the goal of the enemy is to trap you and to keep you trapped 
As a matter of fact, you see the primary objective of the enemy in John 10, that the thief's desire is to trap you and then do three things, to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've all, we've all experienced that. I, I know that I have what it feels like to be a slave to sin, a bond, in bondage to sin, trapped in sin. And then ultimately, and this is the desire of the enemy, he will beat you up with sin, he will trap you in sin, and that sin will weigh you down with guilt and with shame and with consequences. And, you know, you begin to feel emotionally broken and you, you feel like you lack joy and you lack purpose and you lack hope. And then this is where the enemy wants to get you. He hopes that you stop seeing yourself the way that God sees you. So he trapped you in sin to get you to start to buy into the lies of the world, to start to believe the labels that have been placed on you. So he wants you to think that you are what the sin says you are. You are what the world says you are. You are what the addiction says you are. And then eventually you begin to believe that. And you begin to buy into that lie and you stop seeing yourselves as, as a child of God. That God knew that you and I would mess up, we would make mistakes, and so he sent his one and only begotten son because he knew that you would sin. And so he sent us Jesus to get us out of that trap of bondage. Can I get a good amen from somebody? All right, let's lighten the mood for a moment. So let me tell you a little funny story, but I think it will tie all of these thoughts together. I'll tell you a story about a parrot. There's this lady who gets a new job in a new town, and so she moves to the city. And instead of taking uh, any type of transportation to work, she decides that the best way to commute to work is to walk. So on her first walk to her new job, she passes a pet store that's in town. Sitting outside of the pet store, perched on the side of the cage, is this parrot. And the lady walks by the parrot, and the parrot goes, Wah! I practiced that for a whole week. Somebody ought to respond somehow. That's not natural. you got to rehearse that in the front of the mirror. And the parrot goes, hey, lady, you are real ugly. And the lady says, oh, no, you didn't. She walks on to work, and she is aggravated. She's angry. She's hurt. All day at her new job, she's thinking about what this parrot said. So she returns from work on the commute. She passes the pet store again, and there with a smirk on his beak, that parrot, hey, lady, you are real ugly. She can't sleep at night. She's frustrated. How dare that stupid bird, sorry for the word stupid mom who's watching online, that dumb bird, how dare that bird call me ugly? The next morning she gets up, she walks to work. The parrot and all of his arrogance perched on the side of the cage. Hey lady, you are real ugly. Well, she's had enough. She marches into the pet store. She demands to speak to the owner or the manager. The manager comes to the counter and she says, listen, that bird outside is a bully. He's mean. The last couple of times I passed your pet store, he mocks at me and makes fun of me. And the manager says, well, what does he say? And she goes, Mah! that was supposed to be funny, by the way. <laughs> hey, lady, you're real ugly. She says, if I, if I hear that bird say that one more time, I will murder that bird. I will kill that bird. The manager says, you, you have nothing to worry about. That bird will never bully you again. The lady feels good about herself. She walks on to work. She has a good day at her new job. And now she's somewhat, with anticipation, excited to walk back by the pet store because she knows she has owned that parrot. 
She walks by the pet store and there perched on the side of the cage is this old bird. She pauses and looks at the bird and the bird <laughs> looks at her. She looks at the bird and the bird looks at her and she's like, finally, I got it. She walks off and he goes, Mrah! hey lady, you already know. <laughs> Come on somebody, that's funny. I don't care who you are. You already know. Is that not like the enemy? <laughs> you already know. And here's what sin does. Sin beats us down and we feel low. We feel broken. We feel hopeless. We feel helpless. We feel like, and some of you, you've walked into a Go Church campus today. You're watching online and you feel like, I have made too many mistakes. I am a failure. I'm good for nothing. And every morning, the enemy whispers or yells in your ear, just like this dumb old bird, you're good for nothing, you've messed up, you're ugly. I'm thankful that the story doesn't just end with the objective of the enemy trapping us in our sin and then stealing and killing and destroying our hopes and dreams. But Jesus says, he says, this, this is why I have come. My father sent me so that I might come so that you can have life. And not just life, but you can have life to the full. And this type of abundant life, this type of living, this type of fullness in your life, no one else can provide that for you. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what politics say. And I'm not going to be political on Easter. Come on. It doesn't matter what the cancel culture says. It doesn't matter what athletes say. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. What matters is what Jesus says. The only way that you get to inherit this type of abundant life the only way that you get out of the trap of sin is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It was only Jesus that was crucified on that cross at Calvary. It was only the perfect spotless blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross that washes us white as snow and makes us brand new. The Bible says it this way. So I want to make sure you understand because this is critical that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name. On the count of three, everybody shout, no other name. One, two, three. No other name. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. It's only Jesus who can save us from our sins. Don't buy into the lies that the world will tell you. That will keep you trapped in the sin that's in your life, and it will keep you out of experiencing eternity with God and the beautiful place of glory called heaven. There is salvation in no one else. You can't find it in anybody but Jesus. And the other part of this is this. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Lord. And you must believe in your heart that what? Let's read this, this particular highlighted yellow phrase on three. One, two, three. That God raised him from the dead. And that's how you will be saved. So the enemy traps you in this sin, beats you down, presses you down, whispers lies into your ear. And I'm telling you, if you feel that weight today, I've got good news. This is Easter Sunday. Come on, somebody. And Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy is available for you. The Bible says that he's just as close as the very mention of his name. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed or when you've committed those sins. All you have to do in a moment of worship, in a moment of faith, in a moment of confession is say, Jesus, I need you to free me 
deliver me, rescue me, and in a moment, you get to experience his grace. That feels like a good place to pause and give Jesus some high praise. Come on. Confess and believe that God raised him from the dead. As a matter of fact, that's the second absolute truth. Jesus is alive. Oh, come on, somebody. Jesus is a, he's alive. Uh, let me take you just on a quick little journey here. I, I, I won't uh, sit on this too long, but I, I want to give you a little uh, nugget to chew on, if you will. No one argues the existence of the man Jesus. Nobody argues that there was a man named Jesus that walked this earth 2,000 plus years ago. If you look at every major religion around the globe, and there's more than just these uh, one, two, three, four, five that I've highlighted, but let's look at these five just for time's sake here. Every single one of these religious movements recognize that Jesus was a man. If you look at Judaism, that's the Jews. They, they believe that Jesus was a wise man. At the Muslim faith, they, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. In Buddhism, they believe that, that Jesus was, was a teacher, a wise teacher, an exalted teacher. In Hinduism, they believe that Jesus is a God with the other 100,000 gods that they worship. So even the major religions around the world recognize that Jesus was a man. The thing is this, though, is that when you talk about the resurrection of Jesus, let me say this, and then I'll give you a thought that you'll see on the screen. The resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus is what separates Christianity from every other religion. So the fact that we believe that God sent his son to die on a cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then three days later, let's go a little old school for a moment, up from the grave he arose. Come on now. Jesus came up out of that grave. That faith that Jesus is not in that tomb any longer is what separates Christianity from the rest of the religious faiths around the world. Now, I've not had the privilege yet of going to the Holy Land and visiting the tomb where Jesus was buried for just 72 hours, plus or minus. One day I'll get to go, but I know that my in-laws have been, some of you have been, and you visited the tomb. And guess what? Pardon the grammar, but he ain't there. I don't want to sound morbid, but my father passed away when I was 13 years old. You're looking at... 27 years ago, my father died from an unexpected heart attack. Today, I could take you to the cemetery where he's buried. And six feet under, there will be a coffin. And there will just be the skeletal remains of this man that I love. He's there. Where, where is Jesus' body? I want to unpack that for a moment, but not to oversimplify this, but I want to make sure we all understand when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, what does that actually mean? Here's a working definition of the word resurrection. A resurrection is when something that is dead comes back to life. Does that make sense? Kind of nod at me if that makes sense. So a resurrection is just something that is dead. It has now come back to life. Let me tell you a story of a resurrection experience that I had in my family. So I'm eight or nine years old, and I had been begging my family for a dog. I want a dog, I need a dog. 
Got to have a dog. They, you know, we are an anti-cat family. Come on, that's like a generational blessing that's been passed down. Ain't nobody got time for cats. Come on, somebody just testify to that truth. With all, all their attitude. I'd rather have that parrot than a cat. Give me that parrot instead of a cat. But we love dogs, and I wanted a dog. And like any eight- or nine-year-old boy, I promise I'm going to take care of the dog. I'm going to feed the dog. I'm going to walk the dog. I'm going to bathe the dog. I'm going to teach the dog tricks. And, you know, all the promise. You know, if I don't do this with the dog, then you can just, you can lock me in the room forever. You know, I'm going to take care of this dog. And it took, it took what seemed like a lifetime to persuade you know, my family into finally giving in and, and getting me a dog. Now, my family was kind of like a cheap family, if you will. And, you know, now, nowadays people buy expensive dogs and they will fly to get the dog. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's one guy I know that he bought his family a dog. He chartered an, his own private airplane to go get the dog. That's a little extreme, but hey, you do you, boo, right? So, but we, that's not our family. That's not our story. My dad was like, we're going to get you a dog and we're going to get it from the pound. Now, that's good because I believe in rescuing animals. Come on, somebody. So for the cancel culture, want to know our stance on animals. We love all animals. Come on now. And so he's like, we're going to go to the pound. But my dad was so cheap that he didn't want to go inside the pound. He just thought, I can save that, like, fee, that $50 fee if I just wait in the parking lot. I'll take advantage of an emotionally abused family. We'll get their dog, and I'll take that dog back home. Are you with me? So sure enough, this family pulls up, and my dad's like, hey, you know, what are you guys here for? And the guy's like, well, we're going to drop off an animal because it's kind of an animal shelter. And my dad's like, well, what do you got? Because we're in the market. Like, it's, like, it's like the black market for dogs. So what you got? And the guy's like, well, it's in my back seat. Come take a look. So my dad walks around. He's like, well, does this dog have a name? And this, is, this is a mostly true story. I will embellish it like any good preacher will. But for the most part, it's true. This part is true, what I'm telling you. He says, does the dog have a name? And the guy says, yeah, his name is Chester. Okay, my dad says, Chester, what kind of dog is Chester? The guy's like, I have no idea. I mean, he's just a mutt. He's a mangy mutt. Uh, he's about 100 years in dog years. Chester came with his own food and water bowl and his own IV. That's how old he was. I guarantee you that Chester smoked cigarettes for about 40 years. I mean, like, Ch Ch he could barely move, right? He's, like, kind of slow on the, on the last limb of his life. And so my dad's like, we'll take it. Take Chester. So they get Chester. Now, be mindful, pre-cell phones, and I wasn't with them. They wanted to go and get this dog. I'm at home waiting with anticipation. So my family pulls up in the driveway and, you know, they honk the horn, me, me. And I come outside and my mom gets out of the car first. And my little eight-year-old sweet, cute, I was a cute eight-year-old, y'all. I'm going to tell you right now, blonde hair. And I'm standing, y'all didn't believe that, but that's a true part of the story too. And I'm standing there like a little orphan child, excited to see the gift that they would provide for me for my good behavior. My dad gets out of the car with this mangy, matted, nasty, mutt of a dog. And I, but I loved it. Come on, it's like some of y'all had a kid, and, and it wasn't cute when that kid came out. You know what I mean. But you loved your kid anyway. And everybody's like, oh, that, you know it's an ugly kid when they're like, that is a precious child. That is a blessed child. No, don't call my child precious. Tell me if he's cute or not. And they put little Chester on the ground. And I, I didn't even know his name, but I loved that little dog. And Chester, I'm like, here, boy. Here, boy. Really tough hearing, and again, smoker for all those years, but 
something out of the peripheral besides the glaucoma caught the attention of Chester and across the street was a cat and Chester's antennas went up hey there's a new friend and Chester turns and starts walking towards the cat and I'm like hey buddy and my mom says call him by his name well what is his name Chester and I laughed I was like but for real and I was like Chester Chet now Chester is picking up a little bit of momentum because he wants to make a new friend Finally, Chester gets to a light jog, and he's in the middle of the road. God is my witness. He gets run over by a car. <laughs> my sister, who's watching online, I know, she is bent over laughing so hard. Not because the dog was dead. Oh, he died, by the way. I mean, he, that was it. Front tire hit Chester, went up in the air, landed second tire, ran over Chester. Boom, boom. Two booms. She's laughing right now because of my eight-year-old response. I hit my knees. I'm like... Why, God? Why? Because all I wanted was a dog. That's it, a dog. And I get a dog. He wasn't cute. He wasn't, he wasn't sweet, probably. But, but now he's dead? Are you serious? Come on, man. I'm like, God, why? And now I know his name, so, and I know she is dying laughing. I'm like, Chester! Like I've known him my whole life. I didn't even get to hug him. I didn't even get to let him lick me with his smoke smell breath. Chester, why God? Well, my mom is just flipping out. It's pandemonium. You know, my dad, he was actually kind of cool about it. He's probably like, we'll just go back down to the pound. I know a guy. <laughs> so I run out in the road. My mom's like, you got to get him. I pick him up, his lifeless body in my arms. We get in the back seat. This is the first time I ever held this dog. And he is dead. I'm crying. My mom's praying in the Holy Ghost. Come on now. And we're going, we're going. I'm like, you got to get us to the vet. And my dad's like, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not paying a vet bill. That dog is dead. There is no hope. Let the dead bury the dead. Like it's over. I'm like, get him to the vet. So my dad's like trying to like pretend like we're going to the vet. Sure enough, we pull in the parking lot. God as my witness, before we get out of the car, that little dog goes, whoop. <laughs> It scared the fire out of me. I, I peed my pants just a little bit because that dog was dead. Now, you know, we didn't have all the technology of cell phone cameras, but I do have a quick little before and after photo of Chester. He's all right. Chester's good. This is when the car hit him, and then this is after. Thank God for technology. Come on, don't you love Chester already? Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, that's real, this is just Google images, y'all. This ain't really Chester. This dog's a lot cuter than Chester. <laughs> I'd take this dog right now, wheelchair and all, but I experienced something that was dead come back to life. And truth be told, if, if God can raise little Chester from the dead, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, what is too hard for him? So, so when we talk about the resurrection, it's, the, it's recognizing that God allowed his son to be crucified on the cross, buried in a tomb, and then Romans says that the Spirit of God, the same power, the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives within you if you are a believer. And again, this resurrection of Jesus is the game changer compared to every other religion because almost every, and I'm not trying to be critical, but you need to hear the truth. The Jewish people are still waiting on their Messiah, and yet he has already come. Um, 
those who are caught up in, in Buddhism and Hinduism are worshiping gods that aren't even alive. Yet our God is alive. He was crucified and buried and then raised to life. And Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, if Christ had not been raised, if this resurrection never happened, then your faith, uh, your, your singing worship songs, your reading of scripture, your coming to church, your prayers, all of that is worthless because it all hinges upon the fact that Jesus is alive. Can I get a good amen? Like Jesus is not dead, but Jesus is alive forevermore. The Bible says that he's sitting on the right hand of the father, praying for his people. Jesus is alive. So, so if, if all of that is fake, first of all, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But the evidence points to the reality that God did raise his son from the dead. But let me talk to the skeptics for a moment, because if that's not true, then where, what happened to his body? Where is the body of Jesus? There are multiple uh, scenarios that are false teaching that are out there. For time's sake, let me give you two. Here's the first one. Maybe the disciples lied about his resurrection. Maybe these, it was 12 guys. Judas betrays Jesus and then commits suicide. So now there's 11 guys. Maybe these 11 guys somehow, like, got together, and within 36 hours, they made this game plan. We're, we're going to steal the Lord's body. A couple of problems with that. Number one, they were a bunch of cowards. Now, that's not just conversation. That's truth. I mean, at this point, they had all fled. They had all run because they were afraid. And then you got Simon Peter who on Friday of the crucifixion couldn't even like have the courage to confess to a teenage girl that he was a follower of Jesus. So they were a bunch of cowards. So that kind of debunks that particular myth. But then also Pilate, Pilate says this, when they bury Jesus in that tomb, he says, let's take a guard and make the tomb as secure as possible. So this is what they did. They went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and they posted Roman guards. So, so just think about this for a moment. The Roman military was an elite military. The Roman soldiers were the most equipped, trained, educated. They were the baddest dudes on the planet. If they, if they were here today, they would win all the UFC fights. This is the Navy SEAL, right? The best of the best, the creme de la creme, the, the top of it all. Like, and so now the guards are going to, the Roman soldiers are going to post guard. And you think these 11 cowards are going to somehow infiltrate the Roman military, defeat the guards that were on duty around the clock. Not one of them ever even slept and somehow undo the seal of the tomb and take the Lord's body and then live a lie forever. Come on. I don't want to be disrespectful, uh, but it takes more faith to believe that nonsense than it does the fact that Jesus just from the Holy Spirit came back to life. So that's one, one theory. Then here's another one. Maybe the swoon theory is true after all. So what is the swoon theory? Let me give you the hypothesis of the swoon theory. The swoon theory teaches that, well, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he wasn't really dead. He was just unconscious. Another part of the swoon theory hypothesis tells us that they gave Jesus some type of drug that just kind of made him a little drowsy. So he wasn't really crucified. He wasn't really dead. And then when they put him in the tomb, listen to this the cold air from the tomb just somehow like revived Jesus. Come on. 
Now, I got to be really careful here because I'm looking across the room and I see a number of young children. Uh, this is why I really encourage you to always take advantage of our incredible Go Kids ministry. But I want to show you a picture of Jesus. It's a, pic it's a picture from uh, the incredibly powerful movie years ago, The Passion of the Christ. And it is a graphic visual. So for the smaller kids, this is a great time. I know you've enjoyed this incredible message. Thank you so much. But it's a great time to get on the iPad or the iPhone or just lay your head in mama's lap for a moment. But I want to, I want to show you this picture of Jesus because I'm going to disprove all of these, you know, just ridiculously theories, ridiculous theories. Before the crucifixion ever even officially started, Jesus was in critical condition. <clears throat> they whipped him, the legal limit, 39 times with a whip made from jagged bone and lead balls. They mocked him, spat on him made fun of him, ridiculed him, beat him, punched him, kicked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him as hell king of the Jews all before the crucifixion ever started. By the time they got to Golgotha and they elevated Jesus on the cross, history tells us that they used five to seven inch spikes that they would drive into his feet and into his wrist. These spikes severed what is known in your body as the median nerve. Today we call it the funny bone. And they went right through his wrists and experts say that the pain of that moment would be similar to someone taking a pair of pliers and squeezing your funny bone until it popped. And they drove the spikes between his wrists and his feet. They pierced his side that penetrated straight to his heart. And the Bible tells us that he bled so much until the only thing that was left was fluid, liquid, water. Because of the, the pain and the beating that his body endured, Jesus could breathe in, but he couldn't breathe out. So the only way to exhale was to somehow lift up his body with those pierced feet to give a little bit of relief to take one simple breath. As a matter of fact, in our English language, our word excruciating is from the Latin phrase, out of the cross. This idea that Jesus didn't die is nonsense. They beat him. They murdered him. They executed him. They crucified him. And one soldier even recognized that with a loud cry, the Son of God, the Messiah, gave his last breath. And at that moment, the temple curtain ripped right down the middle. And when the captain standing guard in front of him saw that he had what? Quit breathing. And I'm no doctor, but most of the time when you quit breathing, you have no life. 
When he saw that he had quit breathing, he said, this must be the Son of God. But, but listen to me. The story doesn't end there. The story doesn't just end on Friday because the resurrection of Easter, the resurrection of Sunday, the resurrection of the power of God to raise his son back to life is still to unfold. Watch how this plays out. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices. These were the women that had prepared for his burial. They found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. Come on, this is the day that rock and roll was invented. Come on, somebody. But when they, when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two angels suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said, why, why do you seek what? Who? The living one. Why do you look for the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on and give Jesus some praise. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus who said, Jesus says, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. So let me tell you this real quick. The resurrection of Jesus, the absolute truth that Jesus is alive, proves that God can bring dead things to life. And if God can raise up little Chester, come on somebody, God can restore your marriage. If God can raise up his son, God can resurrect your hopes and dreams. If God can resurrect somebody like JC, God can resurrect your spiritual life and resurrect your business and resurrect your broken relationships. The same power that raised Jesus up from the grave is here. It's the Spirit of God. Jesus is the only one that can save you from your sins. And Jesus is alive. Jesus is not some statue that I have to sacrifice fruit in front of and pray to. No, he is a God that hears me when I pray. He hears my voice and he knows my voice. Come on, somebody just thank God for being so close, an intimate God and approachable God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Jesus is one more truth, and we'll be finished on this message for Easter Sunday. The story is not done. There's one prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And it is the promise, church, listen to me, that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Soon is the hour of the inevitable return of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little story here out of John 20. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And you gotta, you gotta appreciate this. It's John who is writing this. And look at how he talks about himself. So she goes to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Sounds like me writing that story, doesn't it? You know, Jesus' favorite. They took the master from the tomb and, and we don't know where he is. Well, Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb and they ran neck and neck and the other disciple got to the tomb first because, well, he was faster, outrunning Peter. 
Stooping to look in, he saw pieces of what? Say linen cloth on three. One, two, three. Linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him and entered the tomb and observed the linen cloths lying there. I want to slow down because I want you to see this. And he noticed the handkerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but somebody say separate. Separate. And what was it? Neatly folded all by itself. Then John recognized that this was evidence on the count of three shout evidence one two three evidence he took one look at the evidence and believed no one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead and the disciples went back home this is my final story for the day but i want you to look at the evidence in the tomb they mummified jesus and they wrapped him in burial clothes linen cloths and over his face, they placed a napkin, a handkerchief. When John the disciple entered the tomb on resurrection day, he noticed that all of the linen cloths were separate from a folded handkerchief. And he called it the evidence. Now to understand the significance of the evidence and connecting it, connecting it to the return of Jesus, you have to know a little bit about Hebrew tradition in that day. And every Jewish boy knew about this tradition. There was a significant relationship between the master and the servant. Let me give you a scenario. The servant would set the table for the master to come and to dine. And on the table, he would prepare the finest linen and a centerpiece of decoration and the choicest meats and the freshest fruits and the finest wines. And once the meal was set at the table, the master would come and sit down and begin to eat and the servant would move just out of sight of the master. The master couldn't see the servant, but the servant never took his eyes off of the master. Are you with me? And the master would eat the meal. And when the master stood up, if he was finished, he would take that handkerchief and he would wipe his hands and he would wipe his mouth he would wipe his beard, he would clean his clothes, and he would wad up that handkerchief and throw it on the table to signify, I'm done eating, I'm finished. But if the master got up from the table and took that handkerchief and wiped his hands and wiped his beard and wiped his mouth and wiped his clothes and then folded the handkerchief neatly and set it off to the side, it signified to the servant, listen to me, I'm not done. I'm not finished. I'm coming back again. Let me tell you, church, on Easter Sunday, 2021, Jesus knew what he was doing in that borrowed tomb, and he left evidence that he is not done. He is not finished. He is coming back again. Come on and give Jesus the highest praise. Hallelujah. One look. One look at the evidence. And we know that Jesus is coming back again. Be seated for a moment. I'm done. Jesus is the only one that can rescue you from that trap. Jesus is alive. And all he wants is intimate friendship, intimate 
relationship with you. And Jesus, believe it or not, that's your choice, but he is a soon coming king. Would you take that Easter survey out real quick? This is how I want to close today. On the back, you see the next steps for your spiritual journey here. I'll explain each one of these boxes. Come on, everybody, please do this. Even if you don't fill it out, we'll use it for the next gathering. But I'm asking you to take just a moment here. On, on the back side of this card is four boxes on your spiritual journey. If you are here today and you would say, I am A, box A, I am already in a relationship with Jesus, you're going to mark that box, box number A. If you're here today and you say, you know what, today I am beginning a real relationship with Jesus Christ. This could be for the very first time, or this could be a recommitment to your faith in Christ. And 2020 was a wild year. Maybe for some of you, it just kind of drifted away from that real daily relationship with God. But today, you are beginning a relationship with Jesus, or you are recommitting yourself to Christ. You are going to mark box B. Box C is, I'm listening, and you made me laugh with the parrot joke, and I chuckled at your dead dog story, but I've got to consider this whole Jesus thing a bit more first than your box C. And then maybe there's some of you, and some of you would say, you know what? I don't think, or I doubt that I will ever make that decision to put Jesus as Lord.